I first want to start by thanking Michael for assisting in the delivery of this message this morning. St. Stephen's is alive. It is a living organism, a living organization. It adapts and changes with each and every week because we adapt and change each and every week. We come into this worship space different than we were the week before, shaped by the experiences that we have had. Fortunately, most of these changes are incremental in nature, so as not to completely throw us off. Drastic adaptations and changes would require our undivided attention and focus us exclusively on addressing them. The body of Christ's image was something that Paul created in the very early days of the church's life, and I love this image. I'm grateful that we have it to guide us as an organization, as an organism. This image reminds us of our collective identity. It reminds us of our interconnectedness. And this is something that we have to be reminded of. Our Western culture doesn't emphasize our collective identity very often. American culture in particular is built on self-reliance and self-determination. There are some benefits and there are some drawbacks of this culture. And I don't feel any need to take issue with them. I don't feel any need to take issue with the emphasis on self-reliance or self-determination. But it does reveal, however, that our collective identity is something that we're unpracticed in. The church, by its nature, is only created in community. And I do take issue with a church that forgets its communal nature and falls back into cultural norms. The church doesn't exist when a Christian is praying by him or herself. Personal prayer is a necessary spiritual discipline, but it isn't the church. The church is what is created when two or three gather together. Christ is in the midst of them and thus makes it part of himself, his body. This is why I greet you every Sunday morning with the words, Good morning, church. Because I want you to remember, I want us to remember, that this is who we are. We are the church, Christ's body in the world. So when we reflect on our body, we're generally healthy. We are intergenerational by nature, as all religious institutions are. Yet I've picked up anecdotally from other clergy that we have a wonderful gift in the variety of generations here. Many churches don't have the younger set of creation in their midst and are always looking for ways to draw people with children or people in their 20s into the community. So we are blessed to have reflected an intergenerational nature. We are healthy in that we have between three and 400 people who come through our doors every month for worship. Between three and 400 people. At the 10 a.m. service this morning, we're gonna recognize and welcome nine new households. And every year that I've been here, which is all that I'm counting, we have welcomed between five and 10 new households into our membership, into our life together. Those that will come and say some words and will say some words at the 10 a.m. service this morning, each of them have made a commitment to St. Stephen's in Ridgefield, Connecticut, through a pledge of their time and a pledge of their talent and a pledge of their treasure. So when you see people coming into membership, you know 
that they have made a commitment to our common life. Another thing that reflects our health is that our property is pretty up-to-date in its maintenance. The actual expense of capital costs last year was drastically less than anticipated, but that was largely because of the work of the property committee. They looked to bring things down into a scope of work that we could handle financially and deal with the minimal essentials so that we didn't fall into deferred maintenance. They changed the scope of their work and they enlisted volunteers where they could. And we're generally healthy because we have enough money to balance our budget. But, and it's a very big but, but it's because we're using our endowment to plug a hole. So even though we can plug the hole, what we really need to do is fix the hole. So generally speaking, we're healthy. We're able as a body to function in the world. We don't have days that the church is closed. We don't have to take, if you will, sick days as a community. We're able to function in the world without a lot of difficulty using our resources. Yet we do have some symptoms that we need to pay attention to. I had just turned 40 and thought I'd commemorate the milestone by getting a physical. It had been more than a few years since I'd seen a doctor. Not that I had much reason to go. I was able to eat donuts and ice cream without gaining weight. And nothing hurt out of the ordinary, even after a strenuous workout at the Y. Plus, I was busy. Going to the doctor simply hadn't been a priority. Whitney was the one who pushed me to make the appointment. She kept harping on me about some annoying issues that kept popping up. Things like how I would fall into a comatose stupor after, after dinner, which might last for two or three hours. Or how waking up in the middle of the night, screaming with whole body cramps, was not normal. I explained that my evening fatigue stemmed from the stress of running a nonprofit theater company and that the cramps were simply the consequence of my intense workouts and not drinking enough water. She countered that it was extremely frustrating to find me crashed out on the couch with the kids still running around at 9.30 p.m. when she returned from vestry, and that when my body seized up at 3 a.m., it wasn't just me who was jolted awake. My issues were not just mine, she said. They affected everyone in our family. We, as the body of Christ, known as St. Stephen's, we have some symptoms that we need to pay attention to. We have a budget that relies on an unsustainable withdrawal from our unrestricted endowment in order to be balanced. What that means is that we have an endowment that generates an income every year because there are people out there managing it. And we take a small percentage of that income. We can do that while allowing the money to still function and to give us more money each year. But we are starting to take more than that percentage. And so what happens is that the money that can work and generate new money for us is becoming less and less. If you saw the financial report for, that was produced this year, you would have seen the three years, the last three years, and how it is diminishing. And when we had the budget forum last week, it was highlighted that this is not a new issue. This has been going on for quite some time. The word 10 years, that phrase was used. What this highlights to me is that the slight adjustments aren't going to fix the problem. Slight adjustments have been implemented for more than a decade. People have been paying attention to this, but we're not going to reach a sound conclusion in making some slight adjustments.
Another one of our symptoms is that attendance in worship falls within the national norms of an average attendance of two times per month. Consider this in your own life. Work travel, family commitments, health. There are numerous reasons why you might be in worship only twice a month. Those of you who are here all the time, you're an anomaly. Most people are only in worship twice a month. This is stressful on our body collective because as we share announcements in worship, we might miss people. Even our most regulars can be here infrequently. It is also hard on our body because we don't have the chance to build community. Community is best strengthened through a weekly engagement and when people are coming two times a month, we lose the opportunity to build the community. Our other symptom is that we have a shrinking volunteer base. Again, this is not an anomaly to the church, but the church experiences it along all demographic groups. It goes across generational lines. For those who are senior citizens, people who've given their time and talent and treasure to the church the entire lives, their ability to volunteer is being hindered by their need to continue working because of financial responsibilities, perhaps their changes in health, which includes not only physical limitations because of mobility or stamina, but also emotional limitations, the outcome, the result of losses of family or even health. The seniors' ability to volunteer is also hindered by travel. Families are spread out now, and what grandparent doesn't want to go see their grandkids? And there's also the opportunity to spend six months a year in a warmer climate. All of these are affecting this tried and true generation of the church. They have less ability to volunteer. Now for those who are considered householders, people with children at home, their ability to volunteer is also hindered because almost all households of this generation have two working parents. The work often includes significant amounts of travel perhaps in a daily commute or even work-related trips. Additionally, the societal expectations of programming for children, these are ominous. As an example, we have children who can't even consider going out for tennis or soccer or basketball in high school because they haven't been playing since elementary school. There is no such thing as beginner in middle or high school. Everything is intermediate or advanced. So this creative and energetic generation of the church has less ability to volunteer. Then we have the sweet middle. The sweet middle generation, those who are finished with people in their homes or almost finished raising children and yet haven't reached an age yet to consider retirement. These folks do have a lot of freedom. But we're often missing this segment of volunteers because of the primary ways that we have to offer them in volunteering. Most of it is administrative. If you want to volunteer, then we want you to run something. This isn't necessarily the way that people are looking to give of their precious time. You are feeling these symptoms. These budget constraints and sporadic involvement and shrieking volunteer offerings are all things that you've noticed because you've told me about them through anecdotal experiences over this year and the years prior, and I hear you. They pop up in everyday things of life, and thus we can't ignore them. For example, in 2016, it became evident in the altar guild. The structure of having teams and officers to lead the guild was proving to be no longer functional. The shrinking volunteer base was felt along all demographic lines. Even a regularly scheduled meeting rarely had more than 50% in attendance. One meeting had three people. 
Working with Erica Hagen, who was serving as Alter Guild Chair for a year longer than she had originally intended because there was no one who was willing to assume that role, she devi we devised together a seasonal schedule of leadership and volunteerism to be tried this 2017 year. We're not sure if it'll work, but already we have people who have stepped up for leadership and new people are being invited to participate in this important ministry, including men and young people. The Nutmeg Festival is another area that has popped up again in 2016. This festival is a 110-year-old tradition of St. Stephen's. This past year, under the leadership of Kurt and Barbara Liddy, and this was the second year that Kurt led it, the Nutmeg Committee shared thoughts about its current format. The symptom of our shrinking volunteer base is keenly felt in this annual effort. This past September, the Nutmeg Committee gave a report to the vestry highlighting some of the things that need to be addressed in order for the festival to be sustainable. There is a team of three people who are beginning to work on some possible solutions, Jeffrey Morris, Mark Blanford, and Nick Samard. They will be sharing some ideas with the parish in the weeks to come. And this festival is important to us, not only because it's part of our self-identity and our identity in the community, but also because we rely on it to fund mission work. In our operating budget, the vestry puts $100 into the hands of the mission committee to respond to the needs of, the hurting, of a hurting world. Through the Nutmeg Festival, the vestry puts an average of $22,000 into the hands of the, nutmeg, of the mission committee to respond to the needs of a hurting world. $22,000. We also rely on it to support the mission of the church and how it is that we carry out the work of God right here on 351 Main Street. Ministry to children and youth is another area that we've been working on this 2016 year. Recognizing that families have responsibilities and schedules that prevent them from weekly participation in worship and formation, we made an effort to find an ordained person to focus on youth and family ministry with specific emphasis on empowering and guiding families to be agents of spiritual growth. We set out to hire someone to invest in our future. At the beginning of the year, when we put out a nationwide search, we had four people apply. Only two were qualified and only one we could afford. When we offered him the position, he ended up turning it down because he was looking for a bigger position, having done this kind of work already. We then cast our nets wider in the hopes of attracting some new applicants, and we did. We had two applicants who were enthusiastic and newly formed in their ministry. Thus, this would be a stepping stone in their formation and growth. But we found that they were equipped differently for ministry than what we expected. They had been shaped and formed in their seminary education differently than what we had outlined and expected. And so we ultimately decided not to hire. We recognize that we do have some work to do in understanding how we might staff for this investment in our faith community. We spent a lot of time theorizing about what might be causing these symptoms. Like a sick person who does re research on Google to self-diagnose, we're coming up with several causes for our symptoms, but we don't know for sure which might be the answer. We're not certain of how to alleviate the symptoms in a more lasting way. If we can understand what plagues us and how to work with it, our symptoms will go away or at the least be manageable. And this is why we have this visioning year. It's time to go deep. So I went to the doctor. Because it had been so long, I needed the full battery of tests. 
The doctor had questions for me and answered some of mine and made a lot of notes. I remember that he said, I seem to be in really good shape. Maybe 125 pounds was a little underweight for someone almost six feet tall, but he wasn't terribly concerned because I was athletic and active. He said that as soon as the urinalysis and blood work results came back, I should be all set. I left his office glad to be finished with that chore. I was surprised then when I got a call the very next day. It wasn't a receptionist or the physician's assistant on the line. It was Dr. Sand. I happened to be at the Apple store talking to a genius about purchasing a new computer for my theater company. You know how precious an appointment at the Apple store is? <laughs> well, that's when Dr. Sand called. I let him know where I was, thinking he'd understand. <laughs> But he insisted we talk right then. So I excused myself from the genius and stepped outside. As I stood on the sidewalk outside the Apple store, Dr. Sand informed me that I had type 1 diabetes. He also let me know that he had already set up an appointment for me to see an endocrinologist at 2 p.m. the very next day. So now it's time for us to go deep. It's time for us to do a total workup. It's been a while. We've begun this effort by issuing an all-parish survey. The results have come in and will be considered first by the vestry, both the outgoing one and the incoming one. And then we will make a plan to share the results of the survey and engage everyone in responding to it. This survey will help us in our work to go deep on how we are a community. We also are going to go deep by getting a total workup on our property and its use. One idea that some folks have begun to discuss is what might be called a property and use assessment. We need to understand the physical condition of each piece of property, how it is used, and what it costs us to have it. We expect that this effort will help us go deep in understanding how we can use our property more effectively to be the church in the world. We want to be successful, not in establishing our own sense of churchness, but as an institution in Ridgefield that the community values because of its transforming nature. We're also going deep by engaging people, hoping for 100% participation in our common life. Our annual pledge of stewardship efforts has been led by the dynamic duo of Tom Carr and Jack Herr. They're cultivating processes to encourage everyone to participate in our common life by giving an annual pledge of time and talent, as well as treasure. The Natural Church Development Task Force looked to engage people in knowing their spiritual gifts as a means of understanding what God has given each of us to work with for God's purposes, knowing that all that we have and all that we are is God's. And because we have at least 200 households who call St. Stephen's their church home, who pass through here every month, we think it's reasonable to aspire to enlist their support through time, talent, and treasure in our life together. Another part of our workup is to understand our community's needs for spiritual growth and pastoral care. We have done this, as I mentioned before, about looking for youth and family ministry, in, into youth and family ministry and how to staff for that. I'm so grateful to Sarah Armstrong and Jane Lindenberg, two parishioners of St. Stephen's, who are smart and organized and dedicated and passionate about the church. They believe that one of the priorities of the church is to shape the next generation in the faith. And Sarah has done an excellent job of organizing children's ministry and keeping it going this year, and Jane, too, with youth ministry. 
They took ideas that were implemented through our discernment process about this, this area of ministry back in 2015 and are keeping them alive and functioning very, very well. We also engaged the work of Elaine Sleeth as someone in formation for the diaconate and now Marilyn Jenkins in formation for the priesthood. As people are in formation, we get to see how it is that the church is shaped in the world and how they can help us shape, be shaped for the future. We are setting out to explore an associate for caring ministries, someone focused on ministry and empowering our lay people to tend to the needs of one another in pastoral kinds of ways. This past year, we saw the de development of Friendly Faces Ministry, overseen by Martha Morris. And this effort is just to visit those, simply to visit those who are homebound on a monthly basis. Already, that's been encouraging those who are unable to come out to worship with us. We are going to look at funding this Associate for Caring Ministries through two restricted endowments. The Parishioners Fund, which is dedicated to helping parishioners in want and need, and the Decker Fund, which is dedicated to helping parishioners who are over 60. And then also we explored a new website. This was identified by the vestry at the beginning of last year, a need to communicate more effectively and looking at all means possible, because as you know, not everyone comes through here with much regularity. We are in the process of developing a new website, and you'll hear a little bit more about that at the annual meeting. And then also we have been able to offer to people a way to tap into our common life through sermon downloads and through live streaming our worship services. You may have seen this in the annual report. 3,500 sermon downloads happened in 2016. Now, Jonathan Taylor, who has established this process, shared with me that sometimes it is robots that are clicking on. There's no way to know for sure how many are listening. But we also know that once someone connects into the downloads, it will update automatically. So if you average it out, it's about 67 clicks per week, whether they're listened to or not. Jonathan also established the live stream worship. Both 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. can be listened live through your computer. And I learned from people who have accessed this how valuable it is and how meaningful it is when they're sick or unable to get here to tap into worship with us. So it's time to go deep. We have to go deep on how we use our property. We have to go deep on how we nurture community. And we have to go deep on how we engage people in St. Stephen's. By going deeper, we're going to address the cause of our symptoms. This can feel a little nerve-wracking because we don't know what we'll discover when we go deeper. I had to rearrange my schedule to meet the endocrinologist, Dr. Gorin. The list of things left undone, such as buying that computer, weighed heavily on me. When the doctor told me definitively that I had type 1 diabetes, I pushed back. Wasn't type 1 called juvenile diabetes? I was 40 years old. Plus, I had no family history of diabetes. Just yesterday, Dr. Sand had said that my vitals looked great. So how could a single test change all of that? Dr. Gorin looked at me and said, Mr. Alltop, I'm a very busy man. Do you think that you could just call me up and come in the very next day if you weren't really sick? The only reason I agreed to make room for you is because Dr. Sand called me personally with your numbers. I can assure you that having a glucose level over 500 after a 10-hour fast is not normal. A single test can change everything. 
The sooner you accept this diagnosis, the sooner we can get you on the road to managing your diabetes. I didn't want to consider the treatments that he, uh, the options that he presented, which involved either injecting myself with insulin four times a day or by being hooked up to a pump 24-7. Dr. Gorin became frustrated with my resistance and handed me a stack of papers which detailed the causes, symptoms, and treatments of type 1. I left the office not wanting to accept this diagnosis. It seemed totally unfair that my destiny depended on something called the islet of Langerhans, this insulin-producing microorgan hidden deep somewhere inside my pancreas. Discovering and addressing what plagues us, what causes our symptoms, is not always welcome work because it's not always easy. And yet we have many resources to aid us in our discovery of how we can address our symptoms of an unsustainable annual budget, a less frequent level of participation than in the past, and a shrinking volunteer base. The good news is that we have a lot of resources available to us, and these resources will help us discover and address the factors that cause our symptoms. We have at our disposal the diocesan and national church information and tools. I don't know how many of you all received the Crux magazine in the mail um, at the end of last year. It's our diocesan magazine. It is supposed to come to every household of the Episcopal Church in the Diocese of Connecticut. I need to set up a clipboard out there so you can write your name down if you don't get it. We do have some copies for you to take with you, and you will see the work that our bishops are doing in leading us in our awareness of how the world is changing and how the church must change in order to be the church in the 21st century. There are many good resources and tools through the diocesan and national church. We have restricted endowments that can be used appropriately to help staff for pastoral ministries. We have buildings that are maintained, so they don't demand more attention than we want to give them. We can actually go in and expect them to work. We also have at our disposal to learn from people who've tried things out before. Every church is facing the reality that we're not in the world we used to be in. Every church is considering what that means for their common life. I know that this congregation has immense gifts and talents and I hope the determination and perseverance to not weary in wrestling with the questions over this year. We need to arrive at an answer we can work with. I hope that you will commit to being in relationship with one another, working from the assumption, working from the assumption of people offering their best. I believe that that's true. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt, encouraging people to think out of the box not shaming someone for arriving at a conclusion that is not as good as perhaps they'd or we had hoped for. It's hard to say what you think. And we need to show up over and over again, even when we're not sure that, what we, have, that we have all the answers or we're not even sure how much contri contribution we really contribute. These are the resources that we have available to us in this visioning year. And I want to assure you that this visioning year is not a thought exercise. This visioning year will offer us necessary steps that we need to create a constructive outcome. We must recognize that diagnosis does not mean that everything can be fixed immediately. Some of our efforts won't be realized until a couple of years. But this visioning year will be valuable to us as a community, both as a church and to the community of Ridgefield, and it will also be valuable 
to us as individuals. It's been over seven years since I've had a donut. Whereas I used to eat ice cream at least once a day, I find myself satisfied with a dollop of whipped cream and a handful of Ghirardelli chocolate chips. Every day I remember that I have diabetes and I shape my decisions around this aspect of my identity. It isn't easy, but it is life-giving. I go to the doctor annually now, partly because they call to remind me that it's time to come in again. A few months ago, I got my regular blood work back and then went in a week later to see the endocrinologist. When we sat down to go over the results, he said, your numbers look great. By looking at them, I would never even guess that you had diabetes. It isn't fun learning that you have to change your life in order to live, especially when you remember the life that you have and you want it back. But it is good news to know that what plagues us doesn't have to end our life. What in our environment leads to our dis-ease? What environmental influences are unsettling the health that we knew before? There's sports on Sunday. It didn't used to be that way. We can't change that reality, but it does shape us. There's work travel. It didn't used to be that way. We can't change that reality. It's going to have to change us. We have two working parent households. We know that there are a couple of generations of adults that grew up with little or no connection with the established church. And we even live in a highly skeptical, even cynical world. In this world, leadership is scrutinized at every juncture, all around. And this call for transparency is often used as a weapon rather than a tool for building community participation. We are not immune to the realities of the world. They do indeed shape us. And we're going to have to change our lives as a community in order to live a full life. The good news is we can. I'm infinitely grateful to Michael for taking charge of his health as he does, because I told him, don't die on me. I don't want to live on this earth without you. And because he has taken charge of his health, the odds are good that my hope and wish will come true. Well, at the very least, it won't be diabetes that separates us. And I want the church to be around too. Not as some decrepit institution that only reminds me of what used to be, but as a vibrant and engaging institution that makes a difference in people's lives. The things that plague us will never go away, but, and it's a big but, but we can work with these realities in a way that doesn't generate the same symptoms. Your engagement, your faithful, trusting, compassionate engagement in this visioning year is key. This year will not work without people showing up. People need to show up in order for it to work. We will have to use grit and stamina to find a sustainable way of being the church, a sustainable and life-giving way of being the church, a life-giving and life-changing way of being the church, the new life which is found in our working together in Christ. The triune God is our head and our spine, our nervous system, and we respond to the signals given to us by the one who informs us, who heals us, 
and who directs us. Determining a sustainable budget will mean some give and take. Since relying primarily on pledges to close our budget gap is proving to be beyond our control, we must consider other revenue streams other than the unrestricted endowment. Determining a new organizational structure will mean some give and take. Since a shrinking volunteer base can't maintain our institutional structure, we must consider how we organize our work as staff and volunteers to respond to the needs of a hurting world. How will we adapt our institutional structure to our new reality while maintaining our values as a Christian community? Determining how we create opportunities for fellowship and spiritual growth will mean some give and take. Since busy schedules keep us from weekly opportunities to build community and nurture faith, we must consider how we empower and equip people to take this initiative themselves so that they experience the church as the resource, as the catalyst, as the unifier for nurturing faith and building community. Determining how we proclaim the good news as an institution will require some give and take. Since the world isn't looking to the church for guidance and direction in addressing the world's brokenness and strife as it used to, we must determine how we want to use our little corner of the world to speak out to proclaim God's redeeming love and transforming grace. We need to determine how to share this news in a way that people can hear it. And that means that we have to pay attention to how people listen. One example that we've done this so well in 2016 is through our support of the refugee resettlement. No more than this week has this become so vivid to us. I want to remind you again of the inter interface between St. Stephen's and the larger community that generated this response. It was a St. Stephen's parishioner who wrote the letter to the vestry in the summer of 2015 that said, we must do something. I started getting phone calls from other people, unbeknownst to the person who sent the email, saying, we got to do something. We put it back into the hands of these few people. I asked Elaine Sleeth to pull them together do some research, find out what opportunities are out there, and then bring them to the vestry. Elaine also then worked to draw in the larger community. And we had a first meeting of a few people with a few pieces of paper with a few ideas. We didn't even have established leadership. That conversation led to another meeting, which brought a few more people into the conversation. Again, we didn't even have established leadership. Over the course of several months, we came to find two leaders, Mike Retger and Ann O'Brien, who stepped up right at the end of 2015, right at the start of 2016, to start to put some things in order. And they systematically worked the process of engaging the entire community in this effort. They would give me reports about how they were doing this. I was so impressed by these two people who aren't even St. Stephen's parishioners. How that was that they were going about engaging the school superintendent, the first selectman, the chief of police. They went through all kinds of community leadership to garner their awareness and support. They brought us into the ability to change the lives of a family. Because of us being a church, we were able to assist in that. We said, we'll receive the donation so then we can write a check for a new mattress so that we can write a check for some household items that were going to be necessary as the time came. We used our institutional identity to be a platform to respond to the needs of a hurting world. We said you can have every meeting here and you can use the copier. 
That is how we played a role, and it has changed the life of a particular family. I see this as more and more the way the church has to interface with the world. We're not going to be the holders of all the good ideas and all the transforming love, but we are agents of that. And so we want to look at how we can live into that. As the prophet Micah proclaimed in our Old Testament reading this morning, what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require? That you love justice, that you do mercy, and that you walk humbly with our God. What does that look like for St. Stephen's Church? How are we going to do that? There are lots of needs in this hurting world. The Beatitudes, as we hear Jesus speak to those broken and in strife, hurting on that side of the mountain, he speaks of God's blessing to them. And I think it's important that we remember that this is not some charitable handout, something to make them feel better because they're having a rough day or a hard go at it. Jesus is saying this is where God is. God is in the strife, working with the peacemakers. God is with the sad, working with the mourners. In the difficulty and strife of life, that is where God is. God is always on the side of the vulnerable, always on the side of the marginalized, always. And we want to be there too, as God's body in the world. We are the body of Christ. We were made that by God's grace and goodness. We were knit together through our baptism because of God's grace and goodness in each of us, drawing us together. We are empowered every week as we come forward to receive of God's very self in that bread and wine so that we can go out into the world to do God's work individually as part of a collective body. The announcements are at the end of the service, and they should give you at least one bullet point to leave here with. And if they don't, then consider what it is you want to do in the world. Is there a way that we as a church can respond to that together? I think this is exciting work in this visioning year because we are going to see God do some amazing things. And we can only see God do those amazing things if we show up. I want to invite you to show up, to be a part of these monthly meetings as you see them outlined on the blue card in your leaflet to consider and to listen to what God is saying to you about how we as a church can respond to the needs of a hurting world. It will be liberating, invigorating. I've always known God to be faithful in giving new direction. And God will be faithful to us as we come together collectively. We are the body of Christ. We are Christ's hands and feet in the world. It's with our eyes that we learn to look with God's compassion on the world. You are invited to be a part of this effort, and I hope that you will say yes. Amen. Amen.